Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program dedicated to engaging in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. My name is Lee Cadenhead, an assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. We come today to the second part of my interview with Stephen Holt with an emphasis in this conversation on his strategy for evangelism in Sierra Leone. Brother Holt is a Bible-believing, independent thinker. He wasn't an heir to any particular system of mission strategy. He was, however, a career coastie where he witnessed the evolution of a more efficient method of exportable training. He's adapted this approach in his evangelism strategy, consistent, of course, with biblical principles, and it has proved to be very fruitful. I think you'll find his strategy for evangelism instructive, and I hope that we'll also be provoked to pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth more laborers into this wide-open door in West Africa. Now for my conversation with missionary Stephen Holt on a strategy for evangelism. Brother Holt, it it might be helpful for us to digress a bit and talk about the field of Sierra Leone. You have already described uh, some of the challenges that come along with that field culturally, as well as uh, in terms of the environment, the climate there. Most of, I I think in the West, um, as Americans at least, most of our exposure to this part of the world, uh, Sierra Leone that is, is related to Ebola headlines, and prior to that, perhaps the violence that has marred the country's uh, recent past with a protracted civil war. So that's that's our association here in the West. Maybe you can maybe you can tell us a little bit about the country's history and the condition of the nation today. Well, I would suggest that. if your listeners are really interested, there's a great book. It's called Rough Crossings. And the author, I believe, is Simon Schumann. And it is a very informative book. Uh, in fact, I read that book. Laura and I read that book just before we started Deputation. And it really gave us a in-depth understanding of the history of Sierra Leone which actually begins in America. Uh, And there is the history of America before it's the United States, uh, the Revolutionary War and the outcome regarding Great Britain and Sierra Leone. And those three histories converge in a little place called Birchtown in Nova Scotia. Hmm. And while we were on deputation, we had the uh, the privilege of being able to go and visit that place. Uh, the Black Historical Preservation Society has uh, has a, a, an exhibit there, and they they do a real nice job about the history and all. Just a fascinating uh, bit of history because prior to that, I had no idea that the United States played any part at all in. In Sierra Leone, but it it truly did. But let's fast forward to 1961. Up until that point, Sierra Leone had been a uh, protectorate, if you will, of of Great Britain. And in 1961, they voted for their independence. And so Great Britain left uh, Sierra Leone and left behind a fairly decent infrastructure. They had a rail, uh, 
They had paved roads. Um, they had a, you know, a banking system, and they they had a, a a decent. Actually, let me say better than that. They had a very good education system at one time. Freetown, Sierra Leone, was considered the Athens of West Africa wow. because of the education that they had. But today, uh, that has all deteriorated. And it didn't take very long uh, once the Brits left that graft, corruption, greed, covetousness, all those things just rapidly deteriorated what infrastructure they had. And thing just melted down into a civil war. And so that lasted for 11 years. And then in 2003, the United Nations uh, brokered a peace accord, and um, that peace has been holding since. Um, the, the poverty level, the education level, or the illiteracy level, uh, and the poor medical infrastructure is still a, a, a plague. And um, again, this is why the focus has to be on the spiritual, because the problem is so huge. Um, the, the, the missionary is not going to be able to fix this. It's going to take the Lord's intervention. Um, but... Uh, we haven't given up. <laughs> we yeah. haven't given up on that little country. Well, these these um, the, the infrastructure that you just described, the uh, educational problems. These are just realities that that you guys have to sort of adjust to in terms of in terms of ministry, and you're doing that. You described the uh, wordless illustrations that you utilize in evangelism, and that's adapting to the very low literacy rate. Um, we mentioned previously that that Sierra Leone is a majority Muslim nation. Uh, you mentioned the radical Pentecostalism that you encountered early on, and and the, the right. difficulties that that presented for you. I think the animistic uh, background of these people sort of creates some some pretty fertile soil for that kind of for that perversion of Christianity. So what are what are some of the other what what can you tell us any more about the religious and cultural makeup of the country and how that affects you directly in terms of your ministry how does that inform for instance your evangelistic efforts Well the uh culturally speaking um they still have all of their tribalism so there's uh, the ancestral worship um the Secret societies, FGM, all of those, all of those issues, um, and they've been there for centuries. And again, um, to be able to eradicate it, it's going to take as long as it took to get to that low point. So, as far as our evangelism is concerned, early on, we it would be very difficult to get a hearing from the Mohammedans, and. Part of the reason for that was they, right away, they knew what I stood for and they wanted no part of it. But they have um, a respect for, for elders. Now, I was 56, 57 when we went to the field. And 
by the time we're actually engaging in um, the evangelism circuit, um, I, I must have been 58 or 59 by then. And so gray hair, <laughs> wrinkles, all of that, it worked to my advantage because they, they are under obligation uh, culturally to respect people that are older. And so they would always offer a chair. Um, they, they would want, they want me to talk. They, they, they would respectfully listen. Um, that we, we started using that to our advantage. Now, again, um, the Muslims more often than not, many of the high ranking Muslims, town chief, deputy section chief section chiefs all of that they would um they would oftentimes be somewhat literate um but their comprehension level even if they could read their comprehension level was was minimal so even they started responding to the wordless books and the illustrations that we did with the banners and whatnot um, it all started making a difference. Now, at one point, um, there was an altercation between one of our guys in church and somebody else in town, in the village. And so we all got called down to the chief, to the town chief, and we had to, or summons to him. And so we all have to appear. Um, and it's very... Uh, ceremonial if you will they're they're very very much big into the ceremony and um it's it's extremely serious and so when we presented our side of the story um, the the town chief and the uh, the deputy uh, section chief they realized that uh, the other party was lying and they told that party to leave, but that they were to come back in an hour. So they had to leave. And he just did that because he wanted to talk to me and the brother from our church who this whole thing was uh, focused on. And he said, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't really like you being here, but I must confess that the influence you're having up there, talking about on the compound and in the Bible school, said so the influence you're having on our people um, as chiefs, we really appreciate it. We like it because we know that your people aren't going to give us any problems. Wow. Now that's coming from a Muslim. Yeah. And he's it, and it's you know it's the it's the way the Lord starts uh, cracking the hard ground. Amen. And, but brother, that took, that took years, years to get to that point. And, uh, today, today, those same Muslim chiefs, um, they're, they'll walk across the road. They'll come from their house to, to greet me. Um, and we have this mutual respect and understanding. And we often, not so much me directly, but the other the other people in the village who are either in attendance at our church or have gone through the Bible school, 
They will oftentimes have uh, protracted conversations with these Muslim chiefs. And um, Mojo, really my right-hand man, Moses Menger, um, he, he oftentimes will talk with the deputy chief because the, the chief has got to walk right by his house to get to the mosque. And he'll stop and talk with Moses, then go to the, go to the mosque. And then on his way home from the mosque, he stops and talks longer. And <laughs> um, again, slow, very, very time-consuming. But nonetheless, you can see how things are changing. Yeah. And it's an evolutionary process, um, it, and it's it's the it's the word of God taking root in a few people, and it's now manifesting itself in a changed life, and other people are seeing it and taking notice. And what happened to you? Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it's it those cultural issues though that has helped because I could not. I can't walk up to the town chief and say, hey, chief, I want to talk to you. I have to have somebody go before me and talk to the chief and say, you know, chief, you know, uh, Steve, you know, missionary Holt's over here and he'd like to like to have a little bit of your time. Is that all right? You know, and, um, but brother, we have taken that cultural moray and use that to our advantage. Yeah, yeah. Because... These Muslims, they go to prayer five times a day, and their assumption is that their prayers are going right to, the, to, to God, to Allah, and that they have every right to talk to him. And then I take and give them the illustration, wait a minute, I can't go and talk to the town chief. I can't go talk to the paramount <laughs> chief unless there's somebody in the middle wow. yeah. who will intercede on my behalf. I need an advocate. Now, great. are you sure that your prayers are being heard uh, by Allah? Who are you? Where's your advocate? <laughs> and so, yeah, the, these cultural issues, man, we, we, we capitalize on those cultural things like that. And it really just opens doors. You know what, brother? It gets people to think. Yeah. And that, that if nothing else, I consider that. A, uh, a success because look, you're the white guy in Africa. You can probably talk anybody into raise your hand, repeat after me. One, right. two, three. Now you're a Christian, right? We don't go there. Good. We don't go there. My, my goal is to plant seeds that would cause you to question. Why do you believe what you believe? And those cultural issues, boy, they just, they just really lend themselves quite well to, uh, to, to just that getting the question. That's a, that's a real blessing that, that explanation, because I think that normally culture, when we, when we interact with culture in relation to missions, we're having to interact with it as an obstacle. And very often it is an obstacle. There is certainly a, an adaptation that has to be undergone for a missionary to be effective in a foreign culture. But sometimes there are cultural keys that will avail themselves to more effective ministry. Sometimes you stumble on those, as in the respect that is afforded and uh, the hoary head, uh, we might say, exactly. in a culture such as that. That's a, that's a really interesting uh, side note in and of itself. I mean, 
I, I went to, to a completely different region of Africa. The first time I went to Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, not West Africa, I was 25 years old. And I went to teach a pastor refresher course to a bunch of pastors. Nobody told me before I went that you're not even a man in that culture till you're in your mid thirties, you know? And, and so I, I had a, you know, I had a pretty big hurdle before I, before the first word came out of my mouth, I was trying to conceal my age from those men, many of which were older than myself. And we normally think of uh, this, a different sort of a different subject in a, in a sense, but we normally think of missions as being an endeavor for Younger people, younger families, younger couples, and 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 certainly there are certain elements that are that are easier for younger families, like language acquisition. While your mind's younger and more elastic, I'm sure there are some advantages. But you looked at your retirement age, you and your wife, as uh, your retirement season of life, not as a not as a time to kick back, but as a time to redeploy. And there were some that was an asset to you. Immediately when you're on the field, the hoary head, right. getting some respect that you would not otherwise have gotten. And then I, I'm so thankful that uh, that you shared with us that we might call it a redemptive analogy of, of a mediator. Right. That is that's that's powerful. And identifying those cultural keys is really, really important to the effective communication of the gospel. Um, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about in addition to culture, you have some other, you have some other obstacles, right. To, to overcome just in the living conditions. So you have established the base of your mission in, in this very rural village of Balmahun. I think I've said that right. Um, sure. What are, what are the living conditions like in that area? Uh, what, what are you, what are you up against as, as compared to, <laughs> the the creature comforts and and all of the technological conveniences that we enjoy in America. What's it like where you're having to live uh, day by day? All right, <clears throat> no electricity, no running water, <laughs> no grocery store, <laughs> uh, um, no doctor, <clears throat> um, no phone service. Um. Recently, I guess it's probably three years ago, certainly no more than four years ago, uh, a uh, Indian company uh, started erecting uh, cell towers, and we actually have one uh, right on the outskirts of our village. So we now have uh, phone service, um, and through that cell signal, uh, we can uh, we can even access the internet now for ten years. We would drive to Bo, which is thirty seven miles to our south, but it takes anywhere from three to four and a half hours to get there. And so we would have to go to Bo to get a dependable signal so that we could call back here to the States. And that's when we would uh, try to um, send our field report back here to the church so that they could, they could disseminate it. Um, there were times when even that, that trek to bow was uh, not possible during the rainy season. And especially 
you know, eight, 10 years ago, the, the road would become just nothing but a mud pit and you could spend hours, if not an entire day, uh, stuck behind a, a transport truck that was trying to haul far too much payload and would end up in the mud, uh, transverse across the road, blocking any, any traffic at one point. Uh, that had happened at a choke point uh, still over an hour out from Bo, and um, the, the, the transportation in and out was just stalled completely. And what ended up happening is uh, those two trucks that were stuck in the mud were just abandoned, and people got out, got their cutlasses out, got some shovels and sticks and whatnot, and started cutting a bypass road around the, uh, the disabled vehicles. Um, but that means that you've lost in that case, I think it was like six hours <laughs> and what can you do about it? <laughs> There's nothing, just nothing you can do about it. You can turn around and go back. Okay. But that's, you know, that's still another three and a half hours back to the compound and you haven't, haven't had communication and you weren't able to, uh, uh resupply. So those are the things, but listen, the, those may sound, as you sit here comfortably in the United States of America, those things may sound like, oh, I could never do that. You could, you could, because that's, it's a minor inconvenience. You just got to adapt to it. But when you, when you see um, the face of a little child, who was on death's door from malaria and dehydration. And you took that child to the hospital and you gave him a pint of your blood. And a week later, he's sitting in church with a smile from ear to ear. Who cares about getting stuck in the mud? Wow. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> and so those those things we value here in the West. And, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I, I've, been, I've been back here in the States now for two months and I've gotten so spoiled. I love it. <laughs> I have electricity. We have, we have internet in our, in our building here in the church. We've got internet and it's just ready access all the time. I don't have to be concerned about uh, starting up the generator to charge my, my cell phone or to be able to use my computer or to run the pump so I can get water into my tower, my, my tank on the top of the water tower so that I can take a shower tonight. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Those things, those things are, they're so secondary. They really are. Brother, everything about this conversation has been, uh, so convicting in terms of the the perspective that uh, that you offer about uh, Christianity, really about uh, about living by faith. But um, your perspective is often different, uh, Brother Holt. Uh, you, you even from your from from the very beginning of your mission to Sierra Leone, 
you didn't you didn't approach this approach this the way that it's the 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 way that missions is typically approached by missionaries that are preparing to go to a foreign field. And I say you you mentioned previously about your field reports. Your field reports don't look like any other prayer letter that I read. Um, they're unique, and and I don't I, I don't say that in criticism of other prayer letters. Uh, you right. are just you're just yourself. You you are you are who you are. You're genuine. And you're not trying to be something else. And that was true in terms of the formulation of your ministry plan and your your philosophy for getting the job done in Sierra Leone. When you first went to Sierra Leone, as I recall, church planting was not actually among your objectives because you you had set out based on based on what you had seen, the burden that you had developed, the the vision that you had developed for that part of the world, you set out to assist local churches with Bible training and evangelism. Um, I wanted to ask you, how did you develop that strategy? And over the years that you've been there, how has that evolved? When I was in the Coast Guard, <clears throat> there was a time early on when we would send a group of people from whether it be the ship or the, the search and rescue station, um, we would send a group of people, three, four men, women to a centrally located training facility. And that's, that works, but the coast guard recognized in time that it's very expensive and it really does oftentimes hinder the unit, uh, the Coast Guard is very small and search and rescue stations and, uh, and the, the, the cutters, they're, they're, they're staffed, but not overstaffed. So what the Coast Guard ended up doing was developed an exportable training uh, system where they would, rather than move the people, they would send a team of trainers to the unit. So then on that unit, those people that are receiving the training get to use their own equipment, the very equipment that they're going to use on deployment. And so it just made a lot of sense to me. And we got to Sierra Leone and um, on that survey trip and realized this country doesn't need any more churches. There's a church, there's churches all over the place, at least in Freetown at that time. And so I realized that, wow, you know, they don't need churches. They need people in the churches who know their Bibles. They call themselves pastors, but they couldn't find John 3.16 if their lives depended on it. So early on, I, I recognized that, you know, it's that exportable training factor, just like we did in the service. We just need to develop that and use the Bible as the curriculum. And so... Um, we got to Boma and realized that um, the Bible school is only going to be effective with those people that can obviously spend the time at least three days a week committed to attending class time. And so that, that actually was very limiting. And so the Bible school was not going to help others in the outlying villages. Now, what we did try at one time was to bring pastors from the outlying 
village churches and bring them to Boma. And we, we housed them, we fed them, and they attended classes in the morning, broke for lunch, then again in the afternoon. And that worked. And it actually worked fairly well. The problem being, though, um, you know, we're small. <laughs> it was me and Laura. And, um, you know, we got some of the ladies in village to do the cooking and the brooking for, for the men that were in, in attendance. But we could only deal with, you know, eight to 12 people at the very most in any given uh, session. And so those Bible seminars, we tried that. We did, I think, uh, four of them. But um, it really was an expensive, uh, on our part, very expensive to do all the transportation, do all the feeding and whatnot, and pay the, the ladies to do the brooking and the cooking. Um, it, it was a blessing, but it just underscored the fact that, nah, no, we, we need to take the training to them. And so that's really where the circuit training, uh, circuit evangelism uh, was born. And in that, um, the exportable training. Now, we've been, I hope I'm not getting ahead of myself here, but um, mm. the, the exportable training in the form of evangelism just became a, a natural fit. And so um, where we're going is once I get back this coming dry season, I'm really hoping to be able to reestablish the, the, uh, the evangelism circuit that was canceled because of this COVID, uh, reestablish those connections. And now I'm really hoping that with uh, a few extra people in our team, evangelism team, I should not have, I should not need to, I should be needed to be involved hands-on in the evangelism going around to the villages, but yet I can stay at the church with the pastor and some of his senior men and give them some discipleship training while the rest of the team is out doing the evangelism and training um, the, uh, the, the, the people in the congregation about evangelism and methodology and uh, the the narrative that goes along with the books that we we give them for the uh, for the outreach. Well, let me digress just a little bit in what you've described there. Um, so you you've you've had to make some adjustments in the strategy. One of the adjustments that you had to make, I guess, was you did end up starting a church, didn't you? <laughs> right, um, brother. That was really as as you had mentioned. It was not on our agenda. Um. But when I got to Boma early on, uh, I told everybody there, just as I had with Michael Mansouray in Freetown, that before I got there, um, I'm I'm not coming to build you a, a school or a, a hospital or an orphanage. Um, I'm coming to do to teach you evangelism and to train you in the Bible. If those are the things you want, then I'm coming. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We want that. We want that. Okay. So I get there. Um, and everything was going well for for a good a good spell there. We actually um, we we started building a house and uh, uh, and the Bible school, the building for the Bible school. And again, they started in with the uh, well. We need you to put a new roof on our church. 
And we, you know, we want you to help with the, with the hospital and with the school. School is a big thing. And one thing led to another. When they realized I wasn't going to do all those things, they basically asked me to leave the church. And honestly, that was such a blessing <laughs> because I was, well, they were going so Pentecostal and I I didn't know how to be able to gracefully back out of the obligation to the church because I was teaching Sunday school every morning and helping with the uh, the, the service time and whatnot. Um, and I, I, early on, we still hadn't developed a good uh, relationship with the, uh, with the town at large. And I, I just couldn't figure out how, how am I going to get out of this? Cause I can't stand being here anymore, uh, in that Pentecostal church. And, uh, when they asked me to leave because they, and they actually, they weren't, um, it, it wasn't done bitterly. They just said, look, we don't, we don't agree with your teaching anymore. Um, so you don't need to be here. You don't need to come and try to teach, teach a Sunday school anymore. And I, uh, I said, well, I'm sorry that it, you know, it's worked out this way. I I've really been uh, enjoying, uh, being able to try to help you, you, you folks. And, uh, they said, well, no, you just don't need to come back. Well, once I got outside and started walking home, I quickly started running home. <laughs> I was thrilled that I didn't have to, I didn't have to make the decision. The decision was made for me. Now, where do we, where do we fellowship? What are we going to do? So once some of the men in that church realized that I wasn't coming back, they came and asked, well, what's going on, this and that. And word rapidly got around town that, you know, I was asked to leave. And so some of the men in church, some of the families, they, we just started meeting on a Sunday morning and having some prayer time, singing some hymns and doing just, just a, a really brief uh, Bible study and there in our, in our Bible uh, classroom, one thing led to another and we started having a problem with too many people. (laughs) And so, um, we, we would take turns with the Bible school students giving, uh, basically taking the position of a pastor and preaching, uh, giving, you know, some uh, Bible lessons and stories, you know, uh, and that was God's method of just weeding out who he was going to select. And one thing led to another, and uh, Brother Alfred Menger, Brother Moses Menger's younger brother, basically rose to the top of that whole thing. And uh, we, uh, let's see, um, I think it was five years, five years to the day, um, we ordained after the church got started. We ordained Brother Alfred as as the pastor. Amen. And so again, we we didn't plan on that. That's just something that happened. Um, and to this day, uh, we've got people coming uh, faithfully. We get visitors quite regularly. And um, given the fact that our population is, is fairly transient because it is a mining town. Um, the, the the alluvial mining, uh, the local miners, it's all done manually. 
but uh, so those those people come and go. But the core group um, that they've they've been faithfully attending, um, and honestly, they love it. They just they just love it, and, and I'm glad we've done it. Um, I have no intentions of doing it again, though. <laughs> Okay. Well, you do have to have a, you've got to have a place to go to church and you've got to have a good place to, to work from and having that base. Uh, boy, that's, that's pretty important to the, to the larger mission. Yes, sir. Uh, speaking of which, the, the, you've, you've mentioned the evangelism circuits and I know that is so near and dear to your heart. It's such a, it's such a big part of what you're burdened to do in Sierra Leone. You've told us a little bit about it. Maybe how about walking us through, okay, you've got a village, uh, that you're going to, to evangelize you, you in some way have developed a partnership with a, with a local church in that village that is willing to accommodate you and give you a platform, uh, get their people out to, for training, walk us through how one of these, uh, one of these circuit stops works on, your evangelism circuit in the dry season when, when you're, when you're out and about doing this training. All right. Well, it, it takes a lot of legwork early on <clears throat> in making contact because communication still is not convenient all the time, but we, we make contact with a, uh, with a local church and uh, to the credit of the, uh, um, the Southern Baptist conference, um, they had a, uh, a very strong presence in Sierra Leone for for a long, long time, over a century, and they left behind a well-established infrastructure of churches uh, in the conference, and it's called the BCSL, the Sierra Leone Baptist Conference. And uh, I I don't really know what their connection is to the Southern Baptist Conference now, but uh, what what I take advantage of is the network. And so we'll contact one pastor and um, in, in that conference, and then we'll network from there to gain other contacts. And so what we do, we'll come into a, uh, we'll come into a village and we meet with the pastor. Now the pastor has to, um, aforehand, had made contact with the town chief, the village chief, and make the arrangement um, that we're allowed to come. Now, the, 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 the town chief may simply say, no, we don't want them here. And there's nothing we can do about that. Uh, that has only happened uh, twice uh, in you know the 12 years we've been doing this. Um, but uh, you have to go through those steps. So the, the, the pastor makes the connection. We come into the, to the village. The first thing we have to do is uh, go with the pastor and meet the town chief, and that sometimes can take uh, hours. That's to meet and greet and uh, just give them a, a rundown of what our intentions are, which is really to our advantage as well, because we, we right from the very beginning, have the opportunity to present the gospel. Uh, why we're here, um, why we're here to present the gospel. Let me tell you, uh, give, them, give them a quick uh, walk through the gospel. And um, they, even at that point, they can say, well, you know, we're all Muslim here and we don't want you uh, spreading your religion here. Um, that has happened, but we can usually talk our way through. Um, well, it, you know, we're not here to try to uh, take people out of the mosque. We just want to talk to people that maybe 
haven't made the decision yet. And they're not Muslim. They're not non-Muslim. They're just uh, they're just uh, um, tradi- traditionalists. Um, and so we we usually get an open door. But now what we do? We go back to the church, and we start with the congregation. We like to do it, say, on a Wednesday, uh, so that we can sit in with their midweek service and then get an opportunity to just briefly talk with them, with the whole congregation, let them know why we're here, who we are, why we're here, and what we're going to do, and that we encourage as many of the congregation as possible to come in the morning and to come through some training that we're going to conduct regarding evangelism. And so we we do that the following morning. And when they when they when they've all assembled, we go through the evangelism book. And brother, the beauty of the book and the big banners that we use, the book is personal. And something that has been lacking in the ministries in Sierra Leone for, for decades is the, the involvement of the women. As I said earlier, the women by and large cannot read, but because they don't know how to read, they have just phenomenal memories and they memorize almost immediately. So what we'll do is we'll go through that book page by page and tell them the narrative of the story. Now you're and, you're referring to the book. This is this is a wordless book. This is an illustrated book. Is that what you're referring to? Yes, sir. The yeah. the evangelism book. It's got no words in it. It's right. just these pictures. And those ladies can now take that book and go out into the village with us and they can present the narrative they can present the the story and it's the story of the advocate and they all have a good understanding of it because of what i explained earlier regarding you can't just walk up to the chief you've got to have somebody as your advocate right and that's that's the whole story in that book and brother those ladies are effective because i go in and it's the women they're all um they're re, they're reserved. They're reluctant to uh, to even really let me talk to them. But another woman, and I just stand by in case she needs help. Oh, they listen, and they listen intently, and they'll ask questions, and it's just it's it's grand. And then what we'll do once we've made um, a, a rendezvous time back at the church, we come back and we have a debrief. What? How'd it go? How many people did you talk to? Were there any questions? Were there any questions you could not answer? Was there any animosity? Were there any problems? And this is how you might handle it. And this is, let's, let's talk through what you've done. And, uh, you know, maybe now understand each one of these groups has gone with one of our team members. Sure. So they're not, they're not unsupervised. And so uh, th- then what we like to do is on a Sunday, um, we have uh, that, a, a version of that evangelism book in banners, large banners, about two by three, I think. And um, th- there's actually more panels uh, in the banners than there are in the book, but we'll give the church, the entire church, that presentation with those banners. And 
uh, it's, it's an instruction for them. It gives them an opportunity to ask questions about it. And brother, we have had so much feedback, good feedback from that. Uh, we have, we, we have pastors asking us, can we get some of those banners? Can we have some more of those books? Um, can you can you come back? Uh, it's it's just an amazing thing. Um, but understand, I, I mean, I know I'm probably making it sound far more optimistic than it is in reality, but uh, by and large, we have not had any problems. Uh, we've, we've had only twice where we've been rejected, um, but even, even that, um, we've been, um, we've had the opportunity to go back and have been received. Okay. So it, uh, it, the, the whole thing is very, very effective. And again, it's based on Laura's artwork. Yeah. Well, that approach to an itinerant sort of evangelistic ministry is, is, is so effective in two, in at least two ways, because if you were just showing up to a village you wouldn't have the opportunity to go evangelize. It, there would there would be hoops that would that would that would hit, that that would be very difficult to jump through cold. So ha- developing the relationship with the local churches gives you access probably to villages that you would that it would be very difficult for you as a foreigner to get access to in the first place. But then additionally. You're not only evangelizing those villages; you're training the people that live there to evangelize their own their own people. So you have a continual evangelistic presence with Pete with with the with the Christians that already call that place home. Sounds like a sounds like a tremendous format for something that's actually lasting, not just a not just a, a flash in the pan, so to speak, of of gospel presentation, but a continual gospel presence, gospel witness in that community. So are you doing in these circuits that, that you do uh, annually, are you working with the same churches year by year and then at trying to add additional churches as you go? I'm assuming that these are ongoing relationships. Yes, sir. And um, the, the one particular church in the city of uh, Kenema, when I say city, please, I hope nobody's picturing paved roads, <laughs> no high rises, <laughs> buildings. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> that particular church, we've been—that's uh, one. Actually, that was the first church we started this whole thing with, and they have been so um, taken by this that they have—I want to say—at least that I can remember right now—at least three additional branch churches started. Um, because of this evangelism uh, outreach ministry that we help them establish. And again, by leaving those books with them, those evangelism, evangelistic, wordless books, illustrated books, they're able to take that, that narrative and modify it for a given particular village. And uh, it's, it's the beauty of pictures. You know, you're not restricted to the words only. You're, you, can, you can morph that into a practical application for a particular village that's going through a particular uh, set of circumstances, a hard time, um, a, a problem. And it, it just lends itself to, uh, to propagating. Now, the... Uh, the churches that we go to in the circuit, 
that, uh, we, we try to always go back to the, to the ones that have, we started with, um, what, what we try to do is to ask those pastors, have you learned of any new churches? Have you, have you met, um, at a, at a conference of some sort or just in, in general, have you met any pastors that we don't know about? that you've met that can you give the give us their contact information can you contact them for us yeah. and let them know that look we're in the area we can work you into our schedule if you want you know brother it's a lot like deputation <laughs> <laughs> you just you just keep networking and so brother we've we've extended all the way from the southern province um into into the east almost to the uh, librarian and uh guinea border uh, we've we've actually done most of the western area as well. That's where Freetown is. And uh, this last dry season, we had turned our sights northward, and we had had such an incredible reception in some of these places that, brother, I didn't even know they existed. As a matter of fact, brother Moses, who's lived there his entire life, and his, he and his brother and uh, dad and whatnot, they're, they're fairly well-traveled uh, in country. They'd never been to some of these places, wow! And so um, it was it was just really uh, an exciting time, and um, we, we well a, a new aspect to that uh, circuit ministry this last dry season was something we hadn't planned on, but just blew itself wide open, and that's secondary schools. Oh wow! Yeah, we had met a pastor through that network who no longer is in the conference but has contact with other conference pastors and so we found out about him we contacted him and we went out there he's got a a christian secondary school which is basically junior and senior high school in the states he's got uh, 350 students in this in this uh church school it's a christian school um and it's self-funded by uh, by the, what the parents pay for school fees for the kids. He asked us if we could address the school, and I said, "School? Well, how many kids you got in the school? Oh, three hundred and fifty. Yeah, I think we could probably work that in." <laughs> sure. And so we went with boxes full of New Testaments, and we did the banner presentation uh, at the school. And we had, for hours, we had the undivided attention of 350 young people who otherwise you would never get to leave the soccer field to come and listen to a bunch of people talk about, you know, God and stuff. There's no way. But here they are in school. And because we had their attention and we were able to keep their attention because they're looking at these pictures, goodness, we had, we, we had such a time there. And now, now, that has opened up yet other schools because those the parents of those students contact other parents and say, hey, my son was just involved in this. And um, they're, they're talking at the, the, the market and um, that, that woman goes back to her village. And now that pastor contacts the pastor that we were dealing with and they contact us and we get to go to another school and we get to go to another village and we get to go through this all over again. And it's just this, 
<laughs> self-fulfilling thing. It just continues to grow. We could use 20 more people yeah. and we, we still wouldn't run out of opportunities. Well, sounds like, sounds like some big plans uh, in the works. Excited about the mustards getting there. Yes. Yes. Brother, I really appreciate you taking the time to to walk us through the, the the ministry there in Sierra Leone. I'm so grateful for you, brother Stephen. I I've never missed a prayer letter, and uh, <laughs> and been praying for you and and Miss Laura for years, and and have rejoiced to see how the Lord has used you in that difficult field. How how can our listeners? You mentioned your field reports. How can our listeners keep up with your ministry in Sierra Leone? All right, it's. Uh... Just go to our website. It's called gatherthefragments.com. There you can subscribe to the newsletter. You can read old ones, look at pictures. Uh, you can communicate with us. Um, Laura, You have a link to Laura's blog as well. I think a lot of the ladies would find that, that uh, interesting and helpful. Absolutely. And, um, you know, there's... Uh, there's stories that uh, Laura has written. One in particular is, um, uh, oh, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Um, and uh, that I, I would encourage everybody to read that one. It's, uh, in, it's exactly the way it happened. And uh, that, uh, to me, has been a, 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 well, a landmark for the ministry um, regarding the town people of Bauma, it really was a turning point and um it uh, it gained us favor with with people in town and it's just really a just a i think it'd be a refreshing to people's hearts amen but yes uh, gatherthefragments.com yeah brother holt can't tell you enough how much i appreciate you taking the time for this uh for this conversation and just how much i appreciate your ministry and and uh your faithfulness over the years your 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 uh, commitment, your dedication to the work of missions, and some of the some of the difficulties that you've overcome to be faithful and to and to stand fast on the field to which the Lord has sent you. So, thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for your time for this conversation. Well, thank you for having me, brother. It's really been a blessing. Thank you so much, and thank you, Cornerstone Baptist Church. Well, that interview was loaded with insight about missions methods. Hopefully you caught something early in this conversation that should be foundational to every missionary work, Christian character and integrity. Stephen and other of the brethren in their village have seen some great doors open simply through letting their light so shine before men. He also illustrated the harnessing of certain cultural keys for the advancement of missional objectives. This is perhaps most notable in his use of the local practice of having a mediator to secure an audience with a local chief on behalf of someone without sufficient standing in a given chiefdom. This relates beautifully to the scriptural presentation of Jesus Christ as our mediator and advocate, and it is a redemptive analogy that is immediately understandable to local Muslims with limited or no exposure to the gospel. I'd like to make one other observation here as I bring the program to a close today. Church planting is fundamental to Great Commission ministry. Apart from local congregations, there can be no fulfillment of our gospel charges in terms of multiplication and discipleship. This strategic consideration, however, has led some American churches to support church planters 
exclusively. Brother Stephen Holt personally planted one church in Baumann, and he didn't really want to plant that one. However, as a consequence of the evangelism circuit that is at the heart of his own mission strategy, he knows of at least three churches planted by existing local churches in the area of Kinema. That's in one area that he knows of. It's actually rumored that there are far more than this. I point this out simply to illustrate the fact that strategizing is extremely important to our mission endeavors. I'm of the opinion that there isn't enough careful consideration given to our methods, but we can over-strategize to the point that we put God into a box in which he will not fit. And the strategy described in today's program might just be a more effective method for local church multiplication, in this case through cooperating with existing congregations, than even certain other more traditional church planting strategies. It's certainly worth our careful consideration. Thank you again for tuning in today. If you've enjoyed today's program, feel free to check out other interviews on a variety of missions topics with different laborers serving all over the world. You can subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts. And if it's been a blessing to you, please feel free to invite others to tune in. I welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel to the regions beyond.